Chetiyar Tafshin Ayin Hay, coming to you live from the headquarters of Ariel Tours in New York. I'm Mayor Weingarten. Welcome to the Israel Show on the Nachum Siegel Network. <laughs>
Udi Davidi, min i kolech mi bechi ve enayich mi dima, a take on the words from the Prophet. And he opened up things on this morning's, uh, this edition, I shouldn't say this morning, this edition of the Israel Show on the Nachman Siegel Network. We are here each and every Monday live, immediately following JM in the AM, 9 AM Eastern Time, 4 PM Israel Time. And we are heard whenever you want, on demand, by the Nachman Siegel Network app, via podcast on iTunes, and via the Nachman Siegel Network webpage nachumsegel.com so please by all means tell your friends and everybody else to tune in as they wish whenever they want it's so convenient and we're very happy to be here with you and thank you so much for joining us and making us a part of your day Um, our Facebook page we are celebrating our Facebook page facebook.com slash the Israel show has broken the 300 mark. We are at 301 likes, and we thank everybody who continues to like our page and tells others. We thank uh, Rachel and Yaakov and Malki and Nomi and Svi and Ita and uh, Banner Week last week. Thank you all very, very much. We post on the page um, links to all the songs that we play during the show, so you can listen to them, watch them on YouTube and so forth. And we also post stories that are of interest to you. If you like the Israel show, then usually you're going to like the stories that we post. So um, tell everybody about it, and thank you very much. Uh, we are going to spend most of today's show discussing earthquakes, and that is as a result of the earthquake that took place over the weekend in Nepal. Right? It sounds a little weird to some of you in the midst of the formation of a government in Israel. Very busy time. Right on the heels of Yom Ha'atzma'ut, yet Israel seems to be focused on an earthquake that took place, how far? 3,000 miles away. There's so much focus on it, and so the question, of course, is why, and we're going to attempt to answer that question uh, during the show and tell you a little bit about the history of earthquakes in Israel and yes, it goes back to the times of the Nivi'im we find we find uh, mentions of earthquakes and uh, in modern times as well um, and what Israel's doing about it it's amazing, I think Israel's so ahead of the game so ahead of the United States on this issue of uh, protecting its citizens from earthquake. All that and more coming up on the Israel Show. We'll go to some more music. This one is called Zemer Nuget, also known as Hatishma Koli, Esther Ofarim. And uh, right at the other side of that, we'll tell you more about the situation in Nepal and the beauty of the Israeli rescue and uh, aid crews that have gone over there. My name is Mayor Weingarten. You are tuned to the Israel Show on the Nachum Siegel Network.
Esther Ofarim Zemer Nugeh, a sad song. We are in a sphere format here at the uh, Israel Show and the Nachum Siegel Network. My name is Mayor Weingarten. So we asked the question before the song, why are Israelis so so taken by the situation in Nepal? Why are there several aid and rescue crews that have already made it there and are working in a place that is uh, 3,000 miles away. And I think there are three reasons. First of all, Israel is known around the world as one of the experts in aiding areas ravaged by earthquakes. Israel just has a a, a special expertise and know-how to do that. Sadly, Israel doesn't get the recognition it deserves. I mean, we all know how the media will report every... I don't know if you hear that uh, drilling downstairs, but if you do, I apologize. And hopefully we can uh, continue. (laughs) Um, We all know that when Israel is... um, Israel has a situation in in Aza when uh, when when a, a house is hit, even though there are missiles there and so forth, the whole world goes nuts, and it's in the media forever and ever and talked about on and on. And yet here, where Israel saving thousands of lives, um, they don't get the recognition they deserve. In January, you may remember January of 2010, there was a crushing earthquake in Haiti. on the Richter scale. The Richter scale, like the high point on the Richter scale is 9 or 10, so 7.0 is very high. And uh, also the fact that in Haiti the structures were not built very strongly, it's a poor country. Israel sent 250 doctors and nurses and rescue workers within a very short time, and they set up mobile hospitals. It took a while for the international media to give it some coverage. They did eventually. I have a quote from one of the CNN reporters. I'm just amazed, the reporter declared. This is like another world compared to the other makeshift hospitals, meaning the Israeli hospital was so much better than the other makeshift hospitals. She also asked, how could it be that the United States had not yet set up a hospital in Haiti, while the Israelis came from the other side of the world to do so? And the truth is that in Haiti itself, there is a tremendous love for Israelis. Many Haitians who had children um, around that time, named their children Israel in out of respect and out of thanks for what the Israelis did. Amazing, amazing work in Haiti. Um, it's not just Haiti. We don't remember, but in Mexico in 1985, in Armenia in 1988, and yes, in Turkey in 1991, in El Salvador, India, Peru, Indonesia... Everywhere around the world where an earthquake demolished an area and they needed rescue workers, Israel was there. So that's reason number one. No matter where it is, even if it is 3,000 miles away from Israel, there is a beauty in Israel, one of caring and cognizant of the importance of saving every life that Israel has. And so... It's not a major surprise. But there is another reason. Because there's a special connection between Nepal, Kathmandu, the city, 
many young Israelis, after completing their mandatory army service, need to get out of the country. They feel they need to, like, air their head out. You know, Israel's a small country, small borders. They're under a lot of pressure in the army. They want to get out. And so they spend, uh, many of you know this, spend six to 12 months traveling, but they don't go to normal, quote-unquote, normal tourist places. They go to far-flung areas of the globe. They, they, you, you could be in the Amazon forest in South America, or many go to Southeast Asia, to Nepal, to Laos, to Thailand, and so forth. There's an, as a result, there's a very active Chabad house in Nepal, in Kathmandu, in the city of Kathmandu in Nepal. And every year, this is, uh, I, I think it's in the Guinness Book of World Records, every year they host, the Chabad house in, in Kathmandu does, host the largest Pesach Seder in the world. Israeli hikers, who many, who, you know, they may be days away from Kathmandu. They make sure to schedule themselves to be in Kathmandu for the legendary Chabad Seder. Literally thousands upon thousands of young Israelis who participate in this uh, uh, Seder in Kathmandu every year. And um, <laughs> it's so part of Israeli culture that Israeli television channel 2, Reshet, they had a fictional uh, uh, series, 13 episodes, called Kathmandu, and it's about the Chabad Shluchim and their travails in establishing the Beit Chabad in Kathmandu. It's it's very cool. I've seen uh, several episodes of it. How they have to deal with the culture of the place and of course the Israelis that are there that they have to try and, and live with or, or understand and they get arrested of course because you know in these places you get arrested for nothing. And um, so Kathmandu Nepal, very much a part of Israeli life. So in addition to the usual rescue efforts, this one is is directly and personally connected to many Israeli families. And there is one more aspect, a bit controversial, and I'm sharing information with you. I don't have enough of it to, to have an opinion. I don't have an opinion on the matter. I'm just trying to relay basic facts. The subject is surrogate mothers couples Israeli couples that for various reasons cannot carry a baby arrange with a surrogate to carry the baby for them with a legal agreement made that when the child is born he or she is given to the to the uh, parents by the surrogate and the parents usually pay a large fee to the surrogate and uh, there are many limits in the Israeli law the use of surrogates for childbirth, um, also due to certain halachic issues that are also part of the considerations in the Israeli law, where these are limited. Um, and so, there are many couples, especially the more wealthy Israelis, who go to poor third world countries, where it is much easier to arrange such a, a deal, because there are poor young women who are interested and um, because of the way it's set up there are many who feel and I'm again I'm conveying this as, as information I don't have an opinion that this is a form of human trafficking of paying 
somebody to bear your child. Uh, I don't know the particulars, but I just know that this is a fact. And therefore, it seems that many, many of these cases are in Kathmandu, in Nepal, where they have both local people and women from India. In India, it's illegal to do it, so they bring women from India to Nepal in order to be surrogate um, mothers, I guess you would call it. And so, I I think a few dozen infants just born were in danger because of the lack of water, the lack of hygienic facilities in, uh, in Kathmandu and so forth. They couldn't get to the baby in another room because walls collapsed and so forth. And so it became not only a, a typical rescue effort of, um, of, of people, but there were the young Israelis that go there for hiking purposes, many, many of them, and the Chabad was very involved in in uh, putting out lists of who's checked in and so forth, as was the Ministry of Foreign Affairs. And then there's also several dozen, it seems, little infants, just borns, newborns, who also had to be rescued in order to be uh, saved. So those, I think, would be the three reasons that this has become such a major issue in Israel. Okay, it's not your... uh, it's not your uh, your radio or your computer. It's uh, the construction here. We're going to go to music, and hopefully uh, they'll stop. My name is Mayor Wanga, and you're tuned to the Israel Show on the Nachum Siegel Network. This is Ehud Banai, Ma'aseh Ba'ar Ba'ah. Shall I 
שני אמר, אני נוגע, of the album Resisei Laila that is Ma'aseh Arbaah. my name is Mayor Wangan you're tuned to the Israel Show on the Nachum Siegel Network we're telling you about the situation in Nepal after a major earthquake devastated parts of that um, country especially in the city of Kathmandu 
according to news reports, wiped out several small towns and villages. And the Israeli delegations that have gone already, that are there already, setting up uh, makeshift hospitals and using the Israeli expertise to save lives of people 3,000 miles away and, of course, to bring back to Israel those Israelis who are there. Of course, the haters will always hate. That seems to be, uh, I don't know, that seems to be one of those... Um, one of, one of those rules, one of those um, axioms of the world. Those who hate us, they will look for every opportunity to hate us, no matter how well-behaved we are, which is why so many people say, you know, we've got to stop worrying about what the Goyim are going to say. As Ben-Gurion said, I don't care as much about what the Goyim say, I care about what the Jews do. So, the um, Human Rights Watch director, Ken Roth, wonder if he's Jewish, responds to the Israel Foreign Ministry post on Twitter about the IDF delegation of 260 medical and rescue crew members departing Saturday night for Kathmandu. The reply of Human Rights Watch director is, quote, well, easier to address a faraway humanitarian disaster than the nearby one of Israel's making in Gaza, and the blockade. Isn't that astounding? It's astounding on so many levels. First of all, Israel's not the only one involved in this quote-unquote blockade. There isn't a blockade. Let's start with that. There is no blockade. Israel is bringing in the necessary food and other supplies into Gaza every day, truckloads and truckloads go into Israel, and it has been discovered time and time again and exposed time and time again that the Hamas, who rule Gaza, are using these humanitarian shipments of food to smuggle in items that they need to reconstruct their tunnels and to continue their war against Israel. There's pictures of it, there's video of it, but it doesn't, the facts don't seem to matter. Additionally, Gaza does not only border Israel. Gaza has a border with Egypt. Do you know what Egypt did? It wasn't very widely reported. No, it wasn't. But recently Egypt went, took bulldozers, and literally just (laughs) cleared away an area at the border. On the Gaza side, they knocked down houses, everything that was in the way in order to create an area like a no-man's land or a zone where they could patrol and make sure that there's no smuggling going on. Did you hear anybody say a word? No, not a word. It's great when our enemies can can do the dirty work for us, so to speak, and 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 they can sort of take the blame, but there is no blame. So this this ridiculous accusation that Israel is the one, it's a a, a humanitarian disaster of its own making, and the blockade is just, it's ludicrous. It's ludicrous, and yet so, you can't imagine how many posts on Facebook and on Twitter, how many university campuses, students, and so forth, are going to be repeating this big lie over and over and over again. Oh, look at Israel, they're supposedly so nice, and they're so humanitarian, and they're going to Nepal. But look, look how they treat the Arabs. 
They're not taking care of them. Look what they've done to them. Blah 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 blah. It's, it's beyond. It's beyond amazing. But hate is hate. We just have to try and fight it wherever we can. Write, note, attack it, and continue to do good. We'll go to Eric um, Einstein and Mickey Gavrielov. Whistling in the dark. Oh, sometimes we feel like we are whistling in the dark. My name is Mayor Weingarten. You're tuned to The Israel Show on the Nachum Siegel Network. Yeah. 
Einstein and um, wow I can't remember the name <laughs> Eric Einstein and I can't remember his name Eric Einstein and Mickey Gavrielov off of uh, the famous album Badesha Etzel Avigdor that was Lishrok Bachoshech Whistling in the Dark my name is Mayor Weingarten you are tuned to the Israel Show on the Nachum Siegel Network we are sponsored by Nefesh Benefesh yesterday at the OU Communities uh, Fair, Nefesh Benefesh participate, I think for the first time, as a place that people can move to, not only the cities in America, cities in Israel as well. Nefesh Benefesh is an amazing organization that provides a limb with uh, financial aid based on needs, employment resources. They help you make your way through the government bureaucracy. They have community-based guidance and support and really work with each individual to make your aliyah as successful as possible. They have amazing concept of this charter flights where the entire plane, an LL jet, is commissioned to um, take Olim, only Olim, families of Olim, single Olim, go on this flight, they process part of your paperwork on the plane, and then when the plane arrives to Israel, there's a huge gathering of people uh, bands and speakers and dignitaries, everybody to welcome the people who are making Aliyah and a welcome that they surely deserve. And uh, that's something that I think helps people when they come on Aliyah rather than just getting off the plane and being shuttled from one government office to another. Now they come to uh, to Israel and are greeted by this beautiful reception. It can't it it it, it, it can't not move you. The Israel Show is proud to be sponsored by Nefesh Benefesh. They are revolutionizing Aliyah. Um, so we're talking about earthquakes. And uh, people don't realize it, but Israel is victim to earthquakes on an occasional basis. Here and there, there have been earthquakes, some of them major earthquakes in Israel. How far back does this go? Well, we actually have evidence of it in the in the Nevi'im, both in Zechariah and in Amos, in Shayao. For example, the first Pasuk in Amos is Divrei Amos. These are the words of Amos. It was a shepherd from the city of Tekoa. Yes, more or less in the same area where the city of Tekoa is today. There's also a city called Nokdim around there, a town. Asher Chazal Yisrael, he prophesied Concerning Israel, Bimei, in the, in the, during the reigns of the following kings, Uziyahu Melech Yehuda, and Yeruvam ben Yoash Melech Yisrael. When was all this? Shnatayim lifnei Haraash. Two years before the earthquake. And it's interesting because, you know, clearly it was such a huge event that all they had to say was, the earthquake, and it became a, a time mark. It was two years before the earthquake. You have it in Zechariah as well. 
ונסתם כאשר נסתם מפני הרעש בימי עוזיהו מלך יהודה. Just like during the earthquake in the times of Uziah Melech Yehuda, the same Uziah that is mentioned in Amos, obviously referencing the same earthquake that took place in the land of Israel at that time, the year 756 uh, approximately BCE, or thereabouts. Um, and, and by the way, the word in Hebrew, the Hebrew word for earthquake, there's there's two words that are acceptable. One is Ra'ash, and the other is Ridat Adama. Ridat Adama is simply the earth is trembling. Ri'ida, Ro'ed, Adama is the earth. So Ridat Adama. The other is Ra'ash, and that's the biblical term for it. Um, and it, it, we're used to thinking of the word Ra'ash as noise, rather than a, a trembling or a quake. And part of the answer is, without going into a whole Hebrew language segment, we'll have to do that in a, at a future time, that usually words that originated as tremble or quake also come to mean noise or anger, because usually tremble or quake when you're angry. Ragaz is an example of that. And um, Ra'ash... When you when when things tremble, they make noise, and so it makes sense that the word is used in modern Hebrew for just for noise. Um, in 1546, a major earthquake. Well, we don't have the numbers from 1546, but clearly a major earthquake that that left devastation in Yerushalayim hit uh, hit the country and. Um, had a profound effect. Don't forget, in those days, the homes were were simple, were um, not well built. And uh, so an earthquake in 1546 would have a tremendous impact on the city. Um, the city of Tzfat, historically well known, that the city of Tzfat was almost entirely wiped out. In an earthquake, it was a 6.3 earthquake, it was in 1837. Uh, 3,000 people throughout the country were killed. In 1927, there was another earthquake in Yerushalayim, 6.2. The reports are that about 300 people were killed and 1,000 injured. Sh- smaller earthquakes in 1943-56-69... 7984, which happens to be ones that I remember myself, was there for two of them. Um, earthquakes that, that um, were felt in Yerushalayim. So, what happens if Israel is susceptible to earthquakes, and clearly they, it is, and clearly the history shows that they've been hit by earthquakes. So, what can one do to help oneself and to prepare and defend against the ravishes of an earthquake. And that's something we'll talk about in just a little bit. Before we do that, I want to go to um, a Hasbara highlight. I don't know where this guy Andrew Claven comes from, but he is good. We've played several of his, um, the audios of his video clips, and we're going to play one now. We'll post the uh, link to the video clip later. We'll follow it by um, 
a Sphira format version of the song Od Lo Ahafti Dai by Betty Pablo, a, a slow and inspirational version of that song. So I hope you enjoy this. Andrew Clavin, the name of it is Obama's Clown Car Diplomacy and about the American diplomacy in the Middle East that we are witnessing these days. My name is Mayor Weingarten. You are tuned to The Israel Show on the Nachum Siegel Network. I'm Andrew Clavin, and this is The Revolting Truth. This is the Middle East. This is the Middle East during the Obama administration. Some of you may observe these results of Obama's smart diplomacy and think to yourself, whoa, this president's foreign policy looks like a clown car full of those evil Stephen King clowns who live in the sewer and say eerie things to children then turn into a gigantic spider and devour them while laughing maniacally. Aha, but if you said that, it's probably because you don't have the nuanced, subtle, Obama-like intelligence to appreciate the subtle nuances and nuanced subtleties with which Obama's smart diplomacy has transformed this troubled region. I wish it would stop doing that. You see, during the non-smart George W. Bush administration, Bush's reckless cowboy policies dragged the United States into ceaselessly supporting our friends while attacking our enemies. Any idiot could come up with that strategy. Now, as best we can, given our non-Obama non-smartness, let's try to comprehend the ever-so-subtle subtlety of the nuanced nuances of Obama's smarter-than-smart-smart diplomacy approach and see just how smartly smart his smart diplomacy is. When uprisings began in the Middle East at the end of 2010, the media dubbed them the Arab Spring. After the famous deodorant, I think. Smart Obama cleverly defied expectations by withdrawing support from our ally, Hosni Mubarak, and backing the Muslim Brotherhood, who won us all dead. Which was smart, because the Egyptian military then replaced the repressive Brotherhood with President Abdel Fattah al-Sisi, who courageously stood up against Islamic extremism. So Obama abandoned him as well. Meanwhile, in Syria, when opposition arose against the tyrant Bashar al-Assad, Obama declared Assad must go and backed it up with a quick round of 18 holes at Grand Oaks. When Assad then unleashed brutal attacks on his own people, Obama drew a red line against Assad's use of chemical weapons and then erased it when Assad used chemical weapons. Now, by this time, George W. Bush's surge of troops had so completely won the war in Iraq that Vice President Biden was claiming the Iraq victory as one of Obama's major accomplishments. Only a man as smart as our president could think to wrong foot our defeated enemies by suddenly surrendering to them. This took the murderous Islamists so completely off guard that they quickly conquered the entire region, giving control of it to ISIS, who won us all dead. But don't worry. Obama then decided to fight ISIS by sending our Air Force to support attacks on ISIS by the Iranians, who won us all dead. But that's okay, because we're also opposing the Iranians in Yemen, where our defense of the government against Iran-backed extremists was declared by the administration to be a total success after it completely failed. But thank goodness our successful opposition to Iran and Yemen was a failure because now it won't jeopardize Obama's deal to let Iran make nuclear weapons so they can destroy Israel, whom we hate, because they're our friends. Now see, 
you and I can't even begin to understand the subtle, nuanced, nuanced subtleties of Obama's overarching strategy here. While we're just focusing on one disaster after another, Obama, in his smart smartness, takes the global view. Ah, that can't be good. I'm Andrew Claven with The Revolting Truth. Hey, while you're here, please subscribe to our YouTube channel and visit... so used to hearing the song in a certain way, Yodlo Ahafti Dai by Yoram Gaon, no Shemer song, that when it is presented in a totally different way, slow, totally different arrangement, it um, you're, not, you're never sure if you're going to enjoy it or not. I love this. 
I loved it. I think it also says a lot about the compositions of Nomi Shemer, where you can take the same song, where it is a hit when played quickly, and it could still be beautiful when played slowly. That was Betty Pablo with Odo Aftidai, and we have one more piece of this uh, earthquake report to um, to finish. We discussed with you um, the fact that Israel is somewhat prone to earthquakes and went through the history of it going back to the times of the Nevi'im and as recently as 1995 when an earthquake um, hit parts of Eilat. So what is Israel doing about it? Well, we often, think of it, we often think of Israel as being some bureaucracy out of control that doesn't take care of things until it's too late. In this case, I think one can say that it is not true. At least there's a plan. And it's, a, and it's an ingenious plan. It's called Tama 38. Tama Shloshim Veshmoneh. And uh, it's being adopted by cities around Israel. And the idea is this. Have an old house. Maybe it has four floors. And it is not well built to withstand a, a, a strong earthquake. So contractors can come and reinforce the building, they sort of, I don't know how they do it exactly, build around it or, or, or something like that. They reinforce the building. In many cases where it's an old building without an elevator, they can even add an elevator. And nobody pays for it. Now you can say, how could that be that nobody pays for it? Who's paying the contractor? Why don't the tenants of the house, which usually it's co-ops in Israel or condos, pay the contractor? And the answer is because the city then gives the contractor air rights to build an additional, let's say, two floors to the house and sell the apartments in those two floors. And that more than covers for the expense of the contractor. So you have many contractors who are interested in doing this and many many homes where the board of the co-op divide by it, as it's known in Israel, also wants to do it because they get a better house, more secure, they have an elevator in many cases where they didn't have one before. In some cases, the apartment actually grows. They, they are able to add a little bit of area to each apartment, and yet it doesn't cost them anything. It's a hassle because there's a lot of building going on for about a year, but it's an amazing plan. And uh, I don't know to what extent it has taken root in Israel, but um, I've heard about it, and I know that there are houses that are considering it. And um, it's it's rather smart. Yes, it's rather brilliant. So let us hope and pray that we don't have too many more earthquakes. And if we do, that people are not injured, that we protect ourselves well enough so that when they inevitably come, we, uh, we are not taken by surprise, that we protect ourselves and um, come out of it without much damage. We're going to end off with... Kochve Boker, Odelia Berlin with Eti Ankari and Mika Carney. But first, we are going to thank you all so much for listening. Thanks for your Facebook likes and comments. We hit 300 last week. We're at 301 on the Facebook likes and we so are so gratified and we so much appreciate all of your interest. 
please do continue to send emails if you'd like. Mayor, M-E-I-R, at NahumSiegel.com. Mayor, M-E-I-R, at NahumSiegel.com. Thanks to the staff of the Nahum Siegel Network, and my very special thanks, as always, to Nahum Siegel. Coming up on the Nahum Siegel Network, immediately after this show, it's an encore presentation of Eternal Flame with Rabbi Y.Y. Jacobson, followed by headlines with David Lichtenstein. And then, the great... Monday, music, sphere format, marathon. Until next Monday, following JM in the AM, this is Mayor Weingarten reminding you that nice guys do not finish last. They're just running in a different race.
לא חייה. איך יזכה לאור? 